0: I really was able to see the diversity in Africa. Hmm. Some people mention Africa as like a country, and you think as Africa is just like super small. And you know, I ask some people how many African countries you think there are, and they say what well, is like ten, oh, something like no. that. You know? <laughs> and it's like then it it's like it's fifty four. It's fifty four African countries. You know, I think it was a it was a beautiful experience. Like when I first went to Africa, I was in Senegal. And that first day, I went to the beach and I just looked out and I cried. I'm like, man, this is a this feeling is different. Like the sky just felt different, the air. It was just like a different feeling, and it was just I was crying. <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, I was crying, and I'm like, man, I'm in Africa. This is the craziest feeling ever. So, you come along
1: with me? hello, hello. Welcome to Young, Gifted, and Abroad, Perspectives on Studying Abroad from Past and Present Students of Color. My name is Danielle, and I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today because today I have my friend Justin as the guest. And I actually have an old classmate of mine from high school. I shouldn't emphasize old, I'm not that old. (laughs) But um, a classmate from high school to thank for suggesting Justin to me so back in the fall i was putting out feelers looking for new guests on linkedin of all places and gary williams that's my old classmate's name uh, recommended justin and so i took note of that and i added justin to my list of people to potentially reach out to and then you know spring 2022 i thought you know probably be a good time there to reach out to him and see if he's interested and luckily for me and for y'all Justin was interested and so here we are. Justin is actually the co-founder of Redefining Normal which comprises a book of the same name that he co-wrote with his wife and Redefining Normal is also their business together uh, where they do speaking engagements about healing from trauma and advocating for foster youth because both Justin and his wife are foster youth alumni, as he put it in our conversation. And the two of them have also traveled a lot together. And that started with them studying abroad in college. Justin, for his part, has been to 30 countries now. And while he was in undergrad, he studied abroad five times. First to, I'm pretty sure I still have these in order, South Korea. And then the Dominican Republic, and then Senegal, and then Hong Kong, and then last but not least was South Africa. And that was supposed to be a big hurrah for Justin, spending his last semester of senior year abroad, but that was also the beginning of 2020, so (laughs) he only got to spend a little over a month there before he had to be evacuated back to the States. But that shortened amount of time that he had in South Africa was apparently engaging enough and impactful enough that South Africa is one of his favorite countries, one of his and his wife's favorite countries. So you'll hear about you know, what they, what their rating system is when it comes to rating the countries that they visit. You'll also hear about why he likes South Africa so much and why Africa in general has a special place in Justin's heart so much so that Justin and a handful of collaborators uh, put together a brand new study abroad program at his university to Uganda and Rwanda. Didn't have enough study abroad programs to Africa and so he surveyed students and did his research. and. And there were a bunch of additional steps along the way so but eventually he and his collaborators designed this program it got approved but once again <laughs> they were slated to take students to east africa in december 2020 and of course that didn't happen so he's hoping to launch that in 2023 and of course you'll hear about the different unique aspects of the other study abroad programs that he did and how he managed to do it all partly it was due to necessity and partly it was just you know genuine interest and I'm really happy that I got to talk to Justin because he's from Detroit and me being from Michigan as well I'm always happy to have a Detroiter on the show so that was really awesome and I learned through talking to him that he was actually really afraid to travel internationally due to messaging that he heard about the dangers of going overseas when he was a kid so it was really fascinating to hear how he went from that mindset to (laughs) today where he's been all over the place and hopes to explore even more and hopefully explore with his family in the future because he and his wife are expecting so that's awesome too. So yes, really amazing things going on for Justin right now, and I'm glad I got the chance to talk to him, and I hope you will also be glad hearing his story once you hear all that he has to say. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with my friend, Justin Black. I'm assuming this is like part of some really good life changes going on. So uh, I'm assuming moving for you is, is a good thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm actually expecting my first child right now, me and my wife, and she's pregnant. Oh, so,
1: congratulations. Yeah, so
0: we, yeah, thank you. Thank you. So we uh, we still own our other home. We're going to be renting it out. And um, yeah, just moving into a new house and getting this together. So yeah, yeah, it's a it's a fun journey. It's a it's a experience. So
1: yeah, moving on up, having a baby—that's wonderful. Good for y'all.
0: Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, it's it's nice to meet you. First of all, I know I mentioned my. Um... It's funny because I hadn't talked to Gary in years. Uh, like I said, we went to high school together, and I don't know. Oh, y'all probably met at Western. Did Gary go to? No, because Gary went to Central. I don't know how you know Gary, but um, anyway, my point is I'm glad that he (laughs) um, mentioned you to me, you know, months back and that we were able to sit down and and talk today. Really do appreciate you agreeing to be a guest on the show. And um, yeah, this will be fun.
0: No, I'm very much looking forward to it and super excited about it. So yeah, I mean, I, it's not often that I get to talk about travel, the travel experience and me traveling abroad and everything. So I'm super excited about this.
1: Mm. Okay. Yes. Awesome. Me too. So why don't we start
0: with you introducing yourself a little bit, if you don't mind? Yeah, of course. So my name is Justin Black and I i am from Detroit. I grew up in Detroit pretty much my entire life. And Uh, till around the age of, I would say, 18, 19 when I went to college. And I went to Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo. And I graduated in 2020 uh, with degrees in public relations and African studies. And now I am currently co-founder and co-author of the Redefining Normal Company and co-author of the Redefining Normal book. This is Redefining Normal, How to Foster Kids Beat the Odds, and discover Healing, Happiness, and Love, a mm-hmm. book that I co-wrote with my wife. And I operate full-time now, so that's what I do. That's what pays the bills. But uh, oh, wow. it's a blessing to be able to um, do that and now just continue to serve others in this role.
1: Okay. Wow. Well, congrats on you know being able to be full-time with uh, Redefining Normal. That's awesome. I didn't realize that you graduated in 2020. That must have been... Really difficult. Um, I always think about my cousin. He graduated high school
0: in 2020, and it was weird for him, you know. So I don't know how it was for you. Yeah, it's a it's a whole story to that, and it ties into the, the theme and concept of this podcast. So uh, I was fortunate enough to study abroad five times, and on my fifth study abroad, I was actually studying in South Africa, mm-hmm. and my it was supposed to be it was my senior year. So my goal was to finish my senior year. South Africa so being South Africa for about five to six months and that would be like the longest I've ever been abroad so before that I was been abroad about three months ish Mm -hmm. so this would be like the longest I was supposed to be abroad and like my wife was in South Africa or at the time she was my fiance so she told me all about it she's was bragging about it for years and it's like you need to go you need to go and other students that I know that have gone there, like, you need to go. So I'm like, all right, senior year, I'm into my year and my senior year at college in South Africa, capping it off mm-hmm. in Cape Town. And um, so I went there in late January 2020, you know, just for extra traveling and just get some experience in. Mm-hmm. And then um, the semester started about mid-February and <laughs> wasn't there for I was only there for like maybe a little over a month. And then uh, pandemic hit, hmm. and then I was emergency evacuated. And my my fiance at the time, she was with me. You know, she loved this her one of her favorite countries. So she was with me just volunteering and working on one of her other businesses. And we were both were emergency evacuated. And you know, another tip that we both are foster care alumni. So for those who are foster care alumni, you know those winter breaks and holiday breaks, we're usually staying on campus because, you know, we don't have somewhere to go usually. So for me, you know, kicking students off campus and I couldn't go back to Western Michigan because, you know, this pandemic, they sent everybody home yeah. for For youth like me who didn't have anywhere to go. I, I almost became homeless, but her parents oh, um, brought me in and I, I lived with her adoptive parents for the next nine months during the pandemic until I was able to get our own home. So that's a, another part of the story we'll get to, though.
1: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, and I appreciate you mentioning the whole aspect of being a college student. Like, being a a former foster kid and a college student, like, you don't really... I think people take for granted that if you're not on campus, you could just go home or go to a friend's home or something. But it's like, if you literally don't have anywhere to go, then what do you do? You know, that's something I really hadn't considered until you just mentioned it. So I appreciate you... Um, you're bringing that up. Uh, and I'm sorry that your, your South Africa journey got cut short. You know, that's... Um... Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. Okay. So, like you said, you studied abroad five times, which is... I mean, is this all within the span of like four years? Or it was like four and a half or something like that?
0: No, pretty much four years. So, you know, what's funny is, and it goes back to that piece of being a foster care alumni, because... You know, while other students, you know, over the summer, oh, summer break, I'm going to go home, do an internship. I'm going to do this, going to do that. You know, I'm like, you know, <laughs> I don't have like a quote unquote home to go, to go to. So either I'm staying on campus and doing stuff or I'm like, why don't I just study abroad and mm-hmm. get those experiences over the summer? Or, you know, there are shorter programs that you can do for like 10 days or 14 days over spring break. So I'm like, why don't I just, you know, study abroad then and just get these experiences in then. So I'm taking each and every opportunity I can to study abroad, to travel, and to just experience the world and experience life. So you use the break times, like
1: in the academic calendar, you use the break times to go abroad um, as an alternative to, you know, finding somewhere to live or finding something else to do. Wow, that's like... I don't know if that was strategic on your part, but that's actually very, very clever. Um, (laughs) I know it was partly out of necessity, (laughs) but that's really clever thinking. Wow.
0: Yeah, I made it work. I definitely made it work. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) So, um, you know, the first time that you went, uh, that you studied abroad, you know, where did you go and, and why did you choose to go to that place?
0: Yeah, so first, I mean, I would like to just say, like, why, you know... First, why study abroad? Yes, of course. For me, and it was a few different things. One, you know, I grew up in Detroit pretty much my entire life, and the stigma around study abroad and just traveling around the country. Just being completely honest, you know, as a as a black person, you know, growing up in you know not the best neighborhood. Sometimes your family—it's crazy because I'm from Detroit, and my mom was always when we watch the news, you'll see something crazy going on uh, abroad and kind of this fear kicks in. And, you know, my mom was like, you better not go abroad. You know, such and such is going to happen to you. Mm -hmm. You're going to get kidnapped and this, this and that. But what's funny is we lived in at the time, one of the most dangerous cities in the U.S. And, you know, it's like danger is like right outside your door. So, Mm -hmm. you know, how could I be afraid of going abroad when, you know, there's danger in my city, you know? So, That was one thing that kind of made me go against the grain a little bit. Like Mm -hmm. once I started to break some of those generational practices in my family of going to college and leaving the city and so many other things, I'm like, you know, this is another thing that's been told to me that I could probably break and just, Mm -hmm. you know, go against the grain because these fears that are put on me are not true. Yeah. So I feel like my life was kind of leading me abroad into to travel and do those type of things, and you know it gave me an extra kick in the butt when my my uh, my girlfriend, who she, she was my girlfriend at the time, mm-hmm. uh, uh, <laughs> who is now my wife, you know she was traveling to South Korea for a summer study abroad, and you know we first we just got together, we were together like maybe maybe six months. And I'm like, dang, I got to go the whole summer without her. <laughs> so so, <laughs> I'll, so I'll, in, the, in the back of my head, I'm thinking like maybe I was just following her. I don't know. But that was my first study abroad. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that was my first time traveling out the country for the most part. I think, uh well, before that trip, we actually uh, went to a few different European Uh, cities and then we went to South Korea Mm -hmm. but um yeah that was my first time abroad and was that the summer of 2017 so I had a few things motivating me uh like her and just just going against the grain of my family history and so many other things but yeah it was it all just came together
1: yeah oh wow so you that's so sweet you followed her to south korea i
0: just i just followed her her. (laughs) yeah and then next thing you know i love traveling but like i think i was just following her at first
1: yeah oh my goodness (laughs) I don't think I've ever heard that before. I've heard people talk about, you know, don't let your boyfriend or girlfriend back home keep you from going abroad. You can, they'll be there when you get back, or don't worry about dating or whatever. I never, I don't think I've had someone tell me like, you know, I if, I didn't want to be without my girlfriend, so I went with her to study abroad in
0: in this country. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it was like she's like, I'm I'm going. She's like, I'm going with or without you. So you know, mm-hmm. and I'm like, the whole summer we're we gonna be separated. I'm like, and again, I of course I didn't just go because of her, right, right? But I think that was a huge motivator for me to go. Yeah,
1: and you said you you went to Europe. Was it on the way to, like, before starting the program in Korea? Is that what you said?
0: Yeah, so what we've been able to do, and with many of our study abroad, so I've been on five programs. Mm -hmm. I think I did about two or three with Alexis, or my wife Alexis, which is funny. So uh, in each and every program, before or after the program, we do extra traveling. So Mm. we either go to whatever neighboring countries there are, um, or if there's countries you want to go to in between so we did like a europe tour europe trip and then we went to south korea mm-hmm. uh before where well, we went to europe before going to south korea so gotcha
1: okay and i know you said this was like you know you're motivated to go against the grain and like maybe surpass people's expectations of what you could do. And plus you had, um, you know, your girlfriend going as motivation as well. And I'm sure that helped also with you not feeling alone. Um, but I mean, how did you, did you have any s- nervousness about traveling outside the country for the first time?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think because of a lot of my family history, I think, and, and another thing that I even wrote about in our Redefining Normal book was, There's a chapter called City Kids Travel the Globe where we talk about our experience and how and why study abroad is so important to us Mm -hmm. and who we are. It's because, you know, when we, when I I was young, you know, and I come from a very religious family, I am Christian. And, you know, when growing up, I think that I was kind of raised to be prejudiced towards other religions Mm -hmm. and almost borderline hateful. You know, I have family members tell me that, you know, oh, don't be around Muslims or don't be around Mm. uh, Jewish people for whatever reasons. And that kind of stuck with me for a long time. And coming to college with so many different people who practice so many different ways of thinking and and who they are, I was really like, I don't want to travel because I don't want to meet or interact with people who are different from me. Mm. And it really took me having conversations and making relationships in a college setting with other people and I can be in a mosque and still believe in what I believe in and who I am and not be disrespectful or be hateful to other people. You know, I was super nervous, you know, with the idea of traveling abroad because I'm like, you know, are they going to influence me or corrupt me in my way of thinking or whatever. And that, mm. my, that mindset, it, it took, it took me actually traveling and taking that step to do that and to, to, fully understand other people. And then, you know, eventually my second or third program was in Senegal, and I'm sure we'll get to this, Mm -hmm. but my second or third program was in Senegal, which is uh, West Africa, a 98 or 90, uh, about a 95% Muslim population. Mm -hmm. And I stayed with a Muslim family, a Muslim host family during Ramadan. And that gave me like a full experience and respect for other people's culture and who they are. And even seeing, you know, their prayer on Friday and just seeing how the whole city shut down. Even in a 98% Muslim country, they still celebrate Christian holidays. Mm -hmm. So that gave me another perspective of, okay, I need to respect other people and love them. And, you know, it's completely different from how I grew up. You know, I had to break through that prejudice that I had towards other people. So that was a bit... Uh, what made me nervous, you know, Mm -hmm. traveling abroad and everything.
1: I see. You know, that's like uh, one of the things when people talk about why you should travel, why you should study abroad. Part of it is like, oh, you get to immerse in another place and learn about other people's differences and like, you know, respect those differences. But that was also like really... Like a personal obstacle for you that you had to learn to overcome when it came to like being afraid that you would be influenced by others or wouldn't be able to interact with different people in a, in a positive way. So, um, yeah, I'm glad that you were able to, I guess, expand your horizons and seeing other people for who they are and what they believe and being able to appreciate that as well. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's actually really
0: beautiful when you think about it. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and I think that everybody. Everybody that travels abroad, it may not be similar to what I've gone through mm-hmm. with my challenges, but everybody kind of finds out more about themselves and have those, those experiences of learning more about themselves or breaking through something that they have been holding on to or dealing with when they go abroad and they're, they're putting those vulnerable and sometimes uncomfortable circumstances. Mm
1: hmm, for sure. Uh, so, yeah, I was, I was curious with the, with the first program you did with your um, girlfriend, y'all were in South Korea over a summer. Do you remember like what that... Well, where in Korea were you, if you don't mind
0: me asking? I was in Seoul. I, I was in Seoul, South Korea. Okay. And, and what was that program about? So we were studying at Kung Hee um, he University in Seoul, South Korea, and there were a couple of different classes that you can take. The classes that I took was uh, urban development, um, studying a bit of gentrification in South Korea, how that works, how what was happening in the situation, how the local politics and government uh, reacts to that and, and their role in that as well, and studying just the urban and local environment and so many other things that are related to that subject in South Korea and just how local businesses and communities are impacted by that.
1: Mm, Okay. So I'm assuming if you're studying these subjects in South Korea, as opposed to like going there to study Korean, the program you were in had like a pretty solid English language instruction there. Like was there, is this a school that had like a lot of international students or that taught a lot of
0: their programs in English as well? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Program did have a lot of international students. But the thing is, is like whenever you go to any country, you always want to do research on the language and do research on the cultural values. So, you know, going to South Korea or any country in general, you want to learn the basics of, you know, if you, even if you don't know the language, you want to understand, you know, how to say hi, how are you doing, mm-hmm. or introducing yourself or some of those basic things. Now, later on, when I started to go to other countries, uh, I did start to, to be more familiar with the language and, And I wouldn't say study, particularly this specific language, but, uh, or yeah, I I studied a language before going to those countries and Mm -hmm. then using that language. But for South Korea, uh, I had to just do my own research on just how to be respectful to their culture and a part of that is their language. So just encouraging myself to do that and encouraging others to do that as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's always good to, um, you know, just to get around in the day to day or just, you know, to be polite and all that. Um, I'm thinking about what you said. You said you studied urban development and um, s- some of that touched on gentrification. For some reason, this is coming to mind where um, something I hear a lot is about how businesses come and go really quickly in Korea. Like you might often open a coffee shop and it's like really popular and it's trending and it's doing really well. And then like maybe a few months later, it's replaced with something else. And um, yeah, I don't know if that's, part of what you covered when you were there um, or, does, <laughs> or does that not have anything to do with what you
0: what you were learning um, while you were in no, little a, a, No a little bit um, I think a large part of what we kind of discussed is the role of the government and how the government has largely contributed to um, gentrification in Seoul, South Korea and just the role that they've played so kind of from the from more from a political stance and perspective of it all.
1: Mm, I see. Yeah, so that that was South Korea and then what was what was the next one that you did?
0: The next one. So the next one was in I believe it was either Dominican Republic or it was in Senegal. I believe I'm I believe it was in Dominican Republic. So in Dominican Republic I studied communication and uh, ethn is it ethnography is the word? Yeah, I study mm-hmm. ethnography communication. So, uh, ethnography, if you don't know, is if I hope I hope I'm saying the right word, but uh, it's kind of the communicate. It's kind of the different forms of communication and more or less about how I- outsiders perceive uh certain cultural things and study the communication mm-hmm. of a particular culture specifically as an outsider. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, as outsiders coming from the U.S., we, uh, me and a group of, and this was like over a 10 to 14 day period. So it was a very short and quick study before we, we did research. Uh, we did research beforehand before going to Dominican and then going to Dominican and then, uh, finalizing our research after. So being there, studying the culture, studying the people, just basically not the language as much to, to a degree, but more or less around uh, talking to people, students around cultural values and mm. just how the communication is between and family relations within uh, local communities. And this is when I start to kind of hone in more on my field of work, which is in communications and public relations. Mm. So trying to get more into that as well. And, uh, you know, Dominican Republic wasn't a bad place to Study for a couple couple weeks, so yeah, that was nice.
1: Yeah, so I mean, how did you go about finding people to observe and talk to in the process of, um, you know, doing this research? Was this like arranged before y'all arrived,
0: or I don't know if what the process was yeah, in terms yeah. of finding like research subjects? I guess. No, definitely. So yeah, the professor already kind of set a lot of those things up mm. beforehand, uh, setting up. Uh, the people will kind of talk to. I mean, it's, in, it's independent research done. So you kind of come from the angle that you would. Uh, that's a lot of the work beforehand. Kind of mm. what angle will you come from? What specific focus will you have? For the research you'll be doing mm-hmm. so but the specific people we will be talking to the families and everything else was kind of structured by the professor I because see. we were only there for a limited amount of time and mm-hmm. we didn't speak Spanish or all of us didn't speak Spanish so uh, we had kind of had the professor kind of do a lot of the work for us uh, on the back end as far as building the relationships and who we'll talk to in the environments which we'll do our study and was was
1: your professor also acting as, like, interpreter as well, or um, did you have any sort of, like, Spanish-speaking person who was, like, helping you get around and, and do stuff?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, a few of the students, as well as uh, the teaching assistant, um, grew up in the area, so we didn't just, we, would, we didn't, one of the main things was we didn't want to go to Dominican Republic and go to the big touristy areas Mm Who wants to go to the actual community do volunteering and talk to the families and the parents and everything so making sure we uh really interact with the people and do our best with that so um we had interpreters we had you know a teaching assistant that was uh, fluent in spanish and other people there to help and assist
1: yeah that's um that's a good point because like you said like dominican republic is like one of those places that's seen as um i guess paradise by a lot of people so it's like when I hear people talk about the Dominican Republic, they're either people who are like from there or their folks are from there and they go there to visit family or they're going for vacation. Um, I don't hear a lot about people going there to, you know, to study abroad like you did or to conduct uh, research. So that's really interesting. That's like a... Did you find it hard to like not want to be in vacation mode given that you were in such a tropical beautiful place I don't know if that was an no, issue for you
0: <laughs> definitely yeah so I mean I think there are different pockets to enjoy and at the end of the trip you def- best believe you know we was able to vacation a little bit <laughs> so um so yeah I think just even small pockets of it just trying to enjoy the food and everything you know for for me what I've learned with a lot of study abroad is that There doesn't always need to be, you know, I'm on vacation for me to enjoy. Mm -hmm. I like the small things like meeting people. I like enjoying the food. I like having those conversations about our differences and laughing at it and trying to learn more about other people's culture. So for me to enjoy an environment, I don't need to just be on vacation, sipping drinks and on the beach and everything, (laughs) but really enjoying the people. Those are my favorite countries. I'm able to uh, talk to the people and really enjoy and have those conversations. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay, yeah. So that so you went to the Dominican Republic, and then it was Senegal, and um, like you said, you were with a host family, uh, Muslim host family. You were there during Ramadan, so experiencing all these different, all these religious traditions that were unfamiliar to you. What was it like for you, just like living in a host family? You know, staying with strangers, basically. Um, you know, how did that go?
0: No, I think it was amazing because one thing is, I feel like each and every one of my study abroad experiences were different. Where some were, I was staying in a dorm and going to a university. Mm-hmm. Some was I was doing a short term, uh, ten to fourteen day program, kind of like in a hostel with my other classmates. Mm-hmm. And others were I was staying with a host family, and this was the host family one was a little bit different because. It it was it was so different because I was able, I had to eat their food. You know, mm. I couldn't, you know, wasn't always able to go and buy my own food. I had to eat their food. We had to communicate. We had to talk. And what's interesting is, you know, in this host family setting, we didn't even speak the same language. Most it was mm. it was the mom in the house. She had her her husband passed before I got there. Mm. And it was her son, her son's her, her son's uh wife. And their child and no one in the house spoke English except for her son. And mm-hmm. he his English was just OK. So, you know, at this time, I'm actually was, I studied two semesters of French, not to go to Senegal, but because it was a part of my degree mm-hmm. to, you know, do two semesters of a foreign language. And I wanted to do French. Um, I know a lot of West uh, of West Africa speaks French. Mm -hmm. And, you know, based on what's offered at my university, I wanted to, I know I wanted to study abroad somewhere in Africa, West Africa specifically. So I started studying French and after two semesters of it, I'm like, all right, I'm going to Senegal, I'm going to use this. (laughs) And come to find out, most of the population doesn't really, don't really speak French like that. They speak their own local language. Mm -hmm. So uh, I used it as best as I could and I wasn't that good anyway. I only only had two semesters of it, Mm -hmm. so it wasn't that good
1: i'm sure you were doing your best
0: (laughs) yeah i did my best but it was all good
1: yeah so and how long was this when you were in senegal
0: uh i was in senegal for about three to four weeks so roughly a month do you remember what the purpose of that trip was was it like
1: meant for like cultural exchange or was there some other like theme or focus to to that program
0: no so for this program uh for this program, we studied globalization. So each student, and again, I was with a few students from my university, mm-hmm. but each student really had a focus uh, on the uh, whatever angle of globalization you wanted to focus on, whether it was the physical environment, whether it was the religion, whether it was the local economy, and I was trying to more focus on. The local businesses and economy and how the local businesses were being impacted Mm -hmm. by globalization and how for a lot of West African countries, they're still recovering from they're still recovering from colonization Mm -hmm. and the impact of how other countries, other European countries uh, were kind of really making their way, establishing their businesses in Uh, those countries and West African countries and how their dominance really impacted Mm -hmm. local communities, local businesses. And really, those local businesses, those Senegalese businesses, were not able to really establish themselves and and really serve their people because there was such a huge uh, French dominance and presence in their country. So Mm -hmm. uh, studying things like that and really trying to get a good understanding of how the local economy and business was being impacted by globalization.
1: Mm, wow. Okay. Is that something that you knew going in, or is that something that you discovered through being in Senegal in terms of like local Senegalese businesses basically not having as much of a chance to really do all that they could do because they had to go around all these other pre established European presences that were already there? Is that something you already knew going in?
0: Yeah. So I had a pretty much an idea of it because before going, you know, just. I started to, you know, be heavily interested in African countries, the history of it, and just everything that went into it. So uh, I started to, you know, do research. So I had a, a general idea of it all, of the history of West Africa, of mm-hmm. Senegal, and our professors, they sent us information on colonization, what led up to uh, where they are today. So just... A a decent amount of history and, you know, based on what I was studying at the time, trying to get into public relations and transform that into understanding business a little bit more. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a general idea of what was going on, but I think going there, you're able to kind of see a bit more of how things work in foreign countries, Mm -hmm. especially those that are especially African countries where there'll be a main downtown area. Where if you are a foreigner, you know, you usually and you have a lot of money, you usually go to these areas that are typically owned by those outside of that country, mm-hmm. uh, government owned or just owned by either a European uh, uh, investors or companies or whoever it may be. So you go to these fancy areas that are very expensive, stay in, you know, like a, a not a Marriott, but yeah, like a Marriott. And hotels that are from the U.S. and, and so you're going to U.S. hotels and eating at restaurants that are French and, and all these things. And then you never really get the, the African experience or Mm -hmm. Senegalese experience. And, you know, you go, you go back home and say, Oh, I've been to West Africa. I've been here. I've been there. But then you spent all your money with people who are not even from there. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and really getting there, you're able to see that firsthand. So, uh, and you know we were fortunate enough to to eat at the local restaurants and eat and eat and talk to the people, so mm-hmm. we were able to experience that and see that firsthand
1: yeah, okay um yeah, that's a good point. I'm just thinking <laughs> I'm thinking about um uh when I was in college we i did a class on like that had to do with like the impacts of tourism on local societies, and it was the same kind of thing where it's like you're patronizing businesses that um you know, the local people don't have control of, or they don't get the, see the profits from, and it's, uh, oh, yeah, it's just really frustrating to think about. But, um, anyway, <laughs> uh, you mentioned that you were with o- other students from Western in Senegal, and, uh, I-, I just was wondering, since I forgot to ask beforehand, were all the programs that you did, were they through Western, or were they through like a different, like an outside organization or different university?
0: Yeah, so when I was in South Korea, uh Oh that's right, you were in yeah, sorry. Yeah, when I was in South Korea that was kind of a I was going to a like a university. So Mm -hmm. I was actually studying at the university, going to the university. Uh in Dominican Republic, uh that was with the university or with Western Michigan. Mm -hmm. Uh Senegal was with Western Michigan doing independent research. Um, and also went to Hong Kong, which is my fourth study abroad before South Africa. Mm-hmm. I went to Hong Kong and I studied at Kong... No, it's not Kong It was Hong Kong University, I believe it was. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was Hong Kong University, uh, or the University of Hong Kong. Uh, so that was through their university, not Western Michigan. Mm -hmm. And in South Africa, I studied at the University of Cape Town, which was, you know, the University of Cape Town and not Western Michigan. So usually if you're working, if you're applying to a different university, it it, it may be kind of not too many barriers, but you have to apply through Western Michigan and then you have to apply through the actual university. So you have to do almost like two applications.
1: Gotcha. Okay, yeah. I guess that is usually how it goes. So, so it was South Korea, the Dominican Republic, Senegal, Hong Kong, and South Africa. I th- I could have sworn I read somewhere that Uganda was in there, but am I imagining that? Did you not also? Yeah. No. It, Uganda? No.
0: Yeah. So that wasn't a actually formal study abroad. Mm-hmm. So, uh, dur- during all these times and and studying, you know, different in different countries what i realized is that our university at western michigan didn't have really any programs to african countries so there was one is one in senegal that i did and to be honest with you the leadership on that was a little iffy but mm-hmm. <laughs> you know so then there was another one to ghana but that that was running like every other year and I think it was, it discontinued after a while. Mm. There was another, one, one program in South Africa and then there was another program in South Africa, which was also questionable with leadership. Funny enough, I heard a few rumors about racism with faculty and how students mm-hmm. were being treated and things like that. So like the African study abroad programs are not looking too good mm-hmm. at our university. So. I kind of took it upon myself to really do some research on how can we implement more African study abroad programs at our university and work towards doing that. So with that, you know, I did an African study abroad information night just to get information and research on where would students like to go Hmm. in Africa? Are they interested in programs in Africa? And if so, where would they like to go? So uh, you know I invited the African student leadership on campus to you know just just be there to talk to people and then I did surveys and questions around like okay are you interested in studying abroad if so would you like to go to an African country and if so what would you like to study and where would you like to go so hmm. within my research you know Egypt In Rwanda, were Asia, Rwanda, and Ghana was two of the top two of the top three countries that people wanted to go to. And fortunate enough for for me, there was someone from Uganda that I did a pro. Me and my wife did a program like a couple months ago. We met. It was like the Clinton Global Initiative. We met someone from Uganda who was doing a program there where they wanted to bring U.S. students to learn about climate change in Uganda. Mm. And they wanted to do like a program there and everything. And they had everything already set up. So for me, I wanted to add another component to it. So I flew to Rwanda and I flew to Uganda to meet with people, talk and connect and and just meet people and have conversations and try to create a program where people can study not only just in Uganda, but also in Rwanda. So we were able to create a program where students are able to go to both Rwanda and Uganda for one week each Mm. to study the Rwandan genocide and learn about how the Rwandan genocide, the impact of it on the environment in the the country, but also how the Rwandan community and the entire country was able to kind of rebuild themselves uh, past the genocide like you you hear about the genocide and how tragic it was and when you hear about it you think going to Rwanda, this is going to be like a terrible place where it's just like violent dangerous and just like you don't know what to expect but when you actually go there i've heard it's one of the most the cleanest countries in africa which going there i see that it is extremely uh, it's, it's beautiful, it's clean, and it, I can see that as being true. Mm-hmm. It's one of the safest countries in Africa, and it's just an amazing place. So, you know, after going there, you know, my mind was blown, and I'm like, I definitely want to bring students here. And then going to Uganda was amazing, too, and that part of the program was already kind of creating a structure for us. So, I just went and took it upon myself to work to create this program for students and then my, my wife jumped in to finish it off because I, I couldn't do this by myself and she's yeah. like the person is spearheaded all and um you know we just were able to create this program to Rwanda, in Uganda but unfortunately we haven't taken any students there yet because the program was officially approved in late December of 2019 and we we're scheduled to take students in December oh, 2020 yeah. and then of course the pandemic hit and you know it's <laughs> yeah, that wasn't the best time to create a yeah. study abroad program during that time, so.
1: Yeah. Oh my goodness, wow. So, I mean, did you have any support from Western, like, in, in you know, pulling this together?
0: Yeah, definitely. So, the director of the study abroad program, uh, he really was working to try to get this done and get this creative for us and help us get this done. It took a lot of legwork on our end, and one of the biggest things was I didn't want this to be a student-led program. Because uh, for some reason, student-led programs are kind of looked down upon. Mm. I really wanted this to be a faculty-led program and just have me on there as a part of the program as like a teaching assistant or something like that, mm. or whatever my title would be. So I found a African Studies professor to come on the trip and agreed to come on and, you know, just be a part of the entire experience. And we, we, we wrote the proposal, me and, elect, me and my wife, Alexis, we wrote the proposal, the everything pretty much for the classes and the entire itinerary and, and got the budget together. The budget was the hardest part because, you know, flying to Africa is always expensive mm. and the actual activities. And for me, I wanted to get more non-traditional students to study abroad, more black students more foster care youth and more non-traditional students to study abroad, but also Mm -hmm. having white students there too. So when they go to Rwanda and study the Rwandan genocide, they can see how dangerous ethnic tension and conflicts can be and what it can lead to. Mm -hmm. So having them study that as a group and really uncover some of those wounds that they went through, but also learn about how they healed and how they were able to create a new society uh, that benefits all people in their environment. So I wanted a very diverse group of students there, and that was we were able to achieve that to a degree, but haven't been able to actually run the program yet.
1: Mm, I see. Okay. So, wow, I'm just I really am just so <laughs> amazed that um, <laughs> you uh, and your wife took the initiative to to do this. That is like phenomenal, and that you even got you know faculty support and all that. So I know you said you weren't able to run it like you got everything set up and organized haven't been able to run it yet. I mean, do you know if there's any um plans to get that going in the in the future?
0: Yeah, my goal is to try to get it going next year. I think this year uh I was not expecting we we are having a baby, me and my wife, so right, right. um and the baby is due in September, so I definitely won't be traveling outside the country a month or two after that. So I'm shooting for 2023 and the thing is, is like it's a full cycle because this program was created by me and my wife. So I'm not really expecting too many people to kind of promote it themselves or really get it out there. So starting like January 2023, you know, I have to reach out to campus, Mm -hmm. uh, reach out to professors, you know, even creating the program, you know, I, I had to. You know, do classroom presentations, get people on board, Mm -hmm. tell professors, tell students about it, kind of anticipating that and even getting them on board, letting them know that I'll help you find scholarships. I'll help you find the money to do this because the non-traditional students believe that they can't afford to go or they believe the myths about study abroad, Mm -hmm. of I'm not supposed to go or it's dangerous or this or that. And now on top of everything, I have to convince them to travel abroad. With COVID out there, yeah. so you know, I think it's going to take like starting in January 2023 for them to be convinced to go on a trip in 20 in December 2023. So it's going to take a long time. I feel yeah. like I need like months in advance to really help them and convince them to do that. And also with the the calendar year of of school, you know, you apply for classes, you apply for fall classes in March. Mm-hmm. Of that year, so I have to do with convincing or or let them know that this is available to them and help them with scholarships and everything from January February and March when they apply for classes so mm-hmm. they have their their fall classes already set and include that into their their credits and everything and let their academic advisor know about that in advance
1: yeah you got a lot of of uh, like your work cut out for you to, to be able to make, you know, take this off the ground and actually send students abroad in 2023. But I, I truly hope that it works out. Um, and that you and everyone you're collaborating with to get this going. I really hope that y'all are able, that y'all are successful in it. Cause um, you know, like you said, it's great to have more options for students who really do want to go to Africa I feel like Rwanda and Uganda, I feel like West Africa and South Africa are always like the two big places when it comes to like studying abroad or just traveling. East Africa, I don't know, I just don't hear about as much. So it'd be a mm-hmm. a whole new perspective on the world, a whole new look at the world that they'd be able to gain by going. So yeah, I really do hope that's um, successful.
0: And uh, Yeah, definitely. Oh, sorry, were you about to say something? Oh, no, I was just going to just add on to that. Yeah, you know, like you said, East Africa is not a huge place that people like to go. So I've always loved the culture and the people of East Africa. So I definitely want to bring more people to that as well.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm, Definitely. And you mentioned, you know, you're talking about Rwanda and how, like, you saw how beautiful it was and how they had, like, been able to, I guess, make progress since the genocide. Um, was there anything about Uganda that stood out? I've, I've literally, you're the first person on the show who's ever mentioned Uganda, I think. Um, I haven't been able to talk to anyone about Uganda before. Mm-hmm. So, do you, was there any, yeah, was there anything about Uganda that uh, stood out to you when you went?
0: Yeah, I think in Uganda, you really get an authentic East African experience. And I feel like I'll, that was <laughs> one that I'll never forget. And it was like, how can I describe it? I think because of the, the setting, it was something that was just so different to where it was a experience that I've never experienced in any country that I've ever been to, hmm. where in Kampala, the capital city, uh, or I believe the capital is in Tibet, but uh, the city where I was in, one of the biggest cities, like the business capital, is Kampala. And most cities I go to, you kind of see somebody who is like either a foreigner or not from there. And this was one of the first times that I knew one person that I was with mm. there. And it was like, I only knew one other person. So that was like, it was just me and him. And he was kind of like doing his own thing sometimes. So I'm like, I'm in the city by myself. So it, I, I feel like I dealt with like a lot of nerves and mm-hmm. dealing with a lot of things in that environment, not even because of Uganda, so to say, but because... It was just such a different environment that I was in and it was so and I was almost by myself so to speak. It was it was just very interesting. I mean, I loved the people. The people were really amazing and it was a lot to get used to and I was only there for about five days. Mm -hmm. But it was just a lot to kind of adjust to within a small period of time. So it's an experience that is definitely memorable and I definitely would like to Travel back to East Africa and we'll be traveling back to East Africa sorry, once we. I'm having oh, trouble I'm sorry. I think <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. I'm sorry. But <laughs> it's all good. Sorry about that. This might answer your question. Alexa, stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. No, but, no um, worries. I think I said Africa. They may have thought Alexa. or. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah. So it was a great experience and I am excited to get back, but, uh, it was one that I won't forget, definitely. Hmm.
1: That's awesome. And I was trying to go in chronological order with the programs you did. So I will get to, um, Hong Kong, but I, you mentioned something about the leadership not being great with the programs, like the Africa study abroad programs at Western was, um, that Western had before you decided to take initiative and and create a new program. Yeah, I guess I'm wondering if you could speak to what those issues in leadership were and maybe how you want to go about it so that you don't replicate those issues in this new program that you're um, hoping to start.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think that's a a great question, too. So some of the things that any it's just about basic things of Especially in an African country where, you know, if if you take U.S. students to like a European country, you know, the culture is slightly different, but it's not like a culture shock. Mm-hmm. If you go to an African country, maybe even an Asian, or I would say maybe a Central or South American country, you can be in a serious culture shock where it's like, whoa, you know, like this is completely different than what I'm used to. And in an environment where there is a culture shock, where the culture is completely different, the customs, the everything's different, and your leadership. You need to prepare students for that. Mm. You need to do a little bit of handholding. You know, do some handholding, talk to them, be in communication, and make sure that you know. As and, and this is an environment where you know, Senegal was like my my third study abroad, so I was kind of familiar with study abroad and how it worked, and you know, I can do even a little bit. A personal travel by myself so mm. i wasn't as nervous as much and even outside of study abroad like before my programs after my programs you know i'm pretty used to traveling on my own or doing my own thing but in that environment i was with other students who this is their first time abroad or they're not used to being abroad or being in african countries and you know i don't want to trash the leadership or anything like that but being intentional about you know, a little bit of hand-holding or, you know, not throwing people to the wolves or checking in on people. And I know, I know people in that program was have a, a lot of anxiety and panic attacks and things mm-hmm. like that. And the students, me and, you know, my wife was on that program as well. Since we have more experience, we have to comfort other people when that was kind of the expectation for the leadership to do and be there for them. And it was kind of like cold shoulder ish. And it was a bunch of other issues with that program. But I would say as far as something that I would definitely adopt in my leadership is to be intentional and aware of how people are feeling. Mm -hmm. How are they doing mentally? How are they doing emotionally? And how are they they struggling in some of those areas where culture shock? and everything, and just how are they adjusting overall? So trying to be aware as possible with that and preparing them for that as well.
1: I see. Yeah, so really making sure that support is there. Uh, students have someone to guide them or like you said hand handhold that sounds like that has a bad connotation right but like you said some some people need extra help and and it's like if you've never been to these this place before you need to like have a way to transition smoothly or have a way to like um make sense of what you're experiencing so yeah that support definitely needs to be there yeah that's a yeah, really good point is
0: it- yeah, it's a bad connotation maybe, but I mean, when I literally say hand-holding, I'm like, you know, hey, it's going to be okay. Yeah. You're doing good. You know, you took the step. And it's really some, some, some affirmations, some re-encouragement, you know, just trying to support people and what they're going through. Because, mm-hmm. you know, again, you're on the other side of the world. You're in an environment for, even as, as for a black person, you know, you go to an African country, like, you're not home. You know, they, mm-hmm. they see you as different, so you they, you speak a different language. They know you as U.S. American, so it's a different environment that you have to get used to. And being in an environment where everybody is different from you and you're the outsider, mm-hmm. it, it could be a lot, especially when you're away from everything you know and love.
1: Yeah, people definitely need that reassurance, and um, yeah, you'll be the one to <laughs> provide that and make sure that students are um, having a... Like a productive time, not just academically, but also like on an emotional level. I'm really glad that you you care about that aspect of things. You know, um,
0: uh-huh.
1: yeah. So that was that was Senegal, and then you know that like led you to s- developing the hopefully soon to be running um, <laughs> program. And um, I realize I've been saying it wrong. I've been saying Uganda. It's Uganda.
0: Is that how you say it? That's that's how the locals. Have been pronouncing it, okay. And I always try to adopt how the locals say it, right? So of you, I, everybody from the U.S. that I know, they say Uganda, but when I go when I went there, they was they saying Uganda. So I'm like, I'm gonna say you say Uganda, I'm gonna say Uganda, right?
1: No, I I do the same thing. I wanna I wanna be as true to how the <laughs> local people say things as I can. So yeah, I appreciate that correction. So and then after Senegal was Hong Kong. Um, how long were you in Hong Kong?
0: Hong Kong was about what was it six weeks, I believe, okay. six to eight weeks. So okay. it's for summer too. It was a six to eight week program
1: in the summer. And uh, what was the focus there? I know you said you were studying at a local university. So what was the focus of um, your studies there?
0: We were doing uh, political, uh, the political economy, studying the political economy. Of not only Hong Kong, but just like of the world in general. Hmm. So studying like different political and economic philosophies in the world in general. It was, yeah, it was... Because Hong Kong and studying the the history of Hong Kong was crazy because how much it relates to the world history. Hmm. And we were in Hong Kong during a crazy time because there were a lot of riots and a lot of revolts and, and just protesting because they're, they were in the process of China basically trying to take over uh, Hong Kong as a Chinese territory. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of protests and a lot of uh, rioting and a lot of vandalism. There's a lot going on. It was an interesting time to be in Hong Kong during that time. And I, don't, I since I've left, I've kept up with it a little bit, but not as much mm-hmm. this year in the past couple months. So I don't know where they are right now, but uh, they were moving towards having China kind of pretty much make Hong Kong a a Chinese territory. Mm. And I think they've made progress in, in, you know, having Hong Kong, uh, freedom for Hong Kong and its citizens. But Hong Kong operates mainly like a democracy. Mm. And it, it was a tricky situation what they've been going through. And we're learning a little bit about that as well as just political philosophy and economy of world history in general, like the basic concepts of it where things originated as well as the history of Hong Kong and just and the different wars between the British and the Chinese mm. have led to yeah. uh, where they are today.
1: Yeah, I remember I remember they were having all those um, protests and, and all that.
0: Um, yeah, we were there when it happened. We were like, I wasn't in the protest, but I was like, <laughs> I was observing from the outside looking in. Like, I see y'all, you know, right. I appreciate y'all. I wasn't there because it was like, you know people getting beat up by cops and everything. Mm. And, you know, I wasn't there, but I'm like, hey, you know, I see y'all, you know, freedom for y'all. Yeah.
1: I might be remembering this incorrectly, but didn't part of it have to do with some sort of, like, extradition law where, like, China wanted to be able to extradite people from Hong Kong to mainland China so that they could be – it was like basically it would allow people from Hong Kong to be – prosecuted for crimes in China I don't know if that if I'm making sense at all
0: (laughs) no you are you are definitely you are yeah so uh and I think that was the situation in Taiwan where I think a lot of it started where I think someone was either I don't remember the specific situation but I think someone from China they traveled to Taiwan and might have murdered their girlfriend or something like that, and then went back to China. It was something, or either... I don't remember the specific situation of what happened, but mm-hmm. somehow Hong Kong got looped in, into that also. And yeah, you're right on point with everything. And yeah, it, I think it was a lot of the local government having votes and conversations around, like, becoming one with China and everything. And mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was a lot of conversation around that. So you're right on point.
1: Okay. Yeah, because weren't they using, like, umbrellas to, to, to like... Shield themselves from like
0: bullets or tear
1: gas or something. I remember seeing something having to do with umbrellas. Um,
0: but anyway, yeah, yeah, (laughs) umbrella. Yes, you're right on point. Yeah, umbrellas (laughs) was a huge part of it because the thing was in that time where we were there, like you wouldn't want to get caught wearing all black and -hmm. having if you were if you caught wearing all black and you had an umbrella, then like you would be arrested on the spot because, or at least you know, the the police would talk to you because you know, they would say, you know, this is a writer, this is a protester. If you had all black on, you had an umbrella mm-hmm. because, you know, those were, th- that's how the protesters were looking. You know, they they had all black on, they had the umbrella. So, you know, you had to make sure you wasn't wearing black and you didn't have an umbrella.
1: Mm-hmm. And did you, um, just thinking, given the fact that there were like all these demonstrations and police trying to like tamp that down, did you also have a curfew during that time or was that not a, a factor?
0: Uh, It eventually happened. There were a few days where we did have a curfew where mm-hmm. there were emails sent from the university to, uh, you know, we highly encourage you to be in at certain times. And there were certain moments where they would not encourage us to take certain uh, metros or subway stations because there would be like a protest, like when there were protests scheduled or whatever, they would tell us like, hey, avoid these areas. Hey, avoid those areas. Now we had some people at our university who would like join in on the protest and Mm -hmm. be there and be like in the thick of it in the middle. I mean, I didn't go to a protest, but I I went, you know, I, I kind of looked and Recorded a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. just being a part of it, trying to learn and everything. Yeah, observing. But yeah. I was, I was just kind of observing. But I was sure to like not really get involved. Mm. And like you see videos online, like they're going viral where you know cops are beating up people in a subway station, and I'm like, I was there yesterday. You oh, know, wow. and it's, it, it was it was crazy.
1: Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um. Well, I mean, you know, being in in Hong Kong, this is you know another. Significant say in Asia. You previously, you know, were in South Korea for a summer. So um, I guess I'm wondering, if staying in Hong, being in Hong Kong, if that impacted you or gave you any like new insights on Asia. You know, seeing it from a different angle and within a different culture and all that.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, it, it was a little bit different because Hong Kong, it, it was a British territory for a long time. So you can kind of see like the democracy or see kind of how different it is from, from other Asian countries. It's, it has like a lot more English there. Like South Korea, it doesn't have as much English. Like it's hard to navigate around South Korea if you don't know at least a little bit of the language mm-hmm. or, You know, and you see a lot more people from the U.S. and other countries. It's like a Hong Kong is like a boiling pot of a lot of Australians, uh, people from Europe, people from the U.S., and also Chinese people as well. Mm -hmm. So it's like a boiling pot of like all these different people in one spot, as opposed to being in South Korea is mainly South Koreans. And, you know, being a black person in South Korea, you see people staring at you and and everything else. But in Hong Kong, it's like people are expecting to see more people from other countries there because it is more of like a boiling pot of everything.
1: Mm. Yeah, that makes sense given their, their, um, history. And, uh, is it as expensive as I've heard it is? I always hear like, I don't know. I always hear about Hong Kong and Singapore being like these ritzy places that are like diverse and also cost a lot to live in. So I don't know if you had any issues like, you know, just on the day-to-day paying for stuff, was it, was it as expensive as, as people make it out oh, to be?
0: Oh, yeah, it's, it's definitely expensive. Yeah, it, it's definitely expensive. And, you know, like it may, maybe some days we had to get some McDonald's because it gets a little expensive. But, mm. I mean, staying on campus, we, we stayed on campus and we usually ate the local food from campus. So, you know, it wasn't, you know, we were not like out, you know, doing a bunch of stuff. You got to be strategic about, you know, planning other activities and everything. So... Yeah, it wasn't. Um, it was expensive, but yeah. Yeah, you made it work. It was still
1: livable for you. So, um, mm-hmm. okay, that's good to know. And and then, like you said, the last one <laughs> that you, you weren't able to finish through no fault of your own was um, South Africa, in Cape Town. Mm. Um, do you remember what that program was supposed to be about? Like what you were setting out to do by studying in Cape Town.
0: Yeah, definitely. So. Uh, So we're studying at the University of Cape Town. So you get to pick your classes. And what was because when you study at a university, like another university, you have to show the classes that you want to take and bring it to, you know, your academic advisor, get them approved. So for me, I was studying like. Kind of social work and how the political landscape of mm-hmm. South Africa impacted the local people as far as the different policies that went into apartheid that impacted black people and the local people. Uh, I was studying, did I study language? No, I wasn't, I didn't do a language class, but I really wanted to. Mm-hmm. So I talked to different local people, made some friends that started to try to learn some of the local languages, but I took yeah, uh, kind of a political landscape class, and I started taking another class around pretty much a history class where it was like how the Dutch and the British were the influence that they had and taking over mm-hmm. South Africa from like the native uh, people and everything, and and the change in language and and slavery down there, and so many other components of how Cape Town became this the shipping hub and everything and became so wealthy and popular and everything. So mm-hmm. yeah.
1: And, um, again, you didn't have, I'm not laughing cause it's funny. I'm just laughing cause I feel bad for you that it got cut so short. Oh no, um, yeah. Um, in the, the brief time that you were there, you were there, like you said, a, a little over a month, right? Yeah. You know, was there anything that like really stood out from that experience? You You mentioned, you know, making new friends and meeting people, but, um, yeah. I mean, was there anything about uh, Cape Town that left an impression on you
0: while you were still able to be there? I mean, it was really amazing, you know, just just being there for one month. is like, you know, I understand why that's one of my wife's favorite countries in the world. Mm. Like one of the things how we kind of rank countries. So we like what we want to go back to. We always say the people, are the people nice? You know, I can't, I don't like going to a country where it's just not nice people. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> so I need, I need people to be nice. You know, I need mm-hmm. to make friends. So people were amazing. Um, how was the food? Food was amazing. You know, it, again, South Africa is like almost like a boiling pot. Unfortunately, it's a boiling pot because, you know, when you learn the history of South Africa mm-hmm. and, you know, they ship slaves from East Africa, they ship slaves from from Asia and uh, from different parts of uh, the continent of Africa, like Madagascar, East Africa and Asia and, and India as well. So it's like now that these people are there. There's like a boiling pot of different cultures mm-hmm. and people and everything. So the, the people are amazing. They have all these different cultures of, of food and everything. So you have like Indian food, you have Asian food, you have traditional uh, African food, South African food, and all these amazing foods and people and everything. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing we, we rank is like, how is the environment? And it's just one of the most beautiful countries you'll ever go to. Like you have beaches, you have safaris, you have deserts. You have like uh, uh, you have pretty much everything tropical, like you have pretty much almost everything all in one country. And mm-hmm. it's just like it's like one of the most beautiful experiences ever. And, you know, it's definitely just in one month has left an impression on me to where I'm like, I'm for sure bringing my kids and family here one day. Oh, wow. And we, we we like planning like a three week, one month trip there one day just to stay in South Africa. So we definitely want to do that.
1: That's wonderful. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah. And then you have your little, your baby, your like your, ch- your little family with your children too. That'll be, that'll be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely. So, you know, like you said, South Africa is definitely a favorite for you and your, uh, now wife. <laughs> so, and you said she was with you. It was South Korea, South Africa. And what were the, what was the other one that she was there with you?
0: So she was there on uh, South Korea, there in Senegal, actually for, <laughs> I think I only did like one program. I did some personal travel by myself. Mm-hmm. Like I went to Uganda and Rwanda by myself, mm-hmm. but she went to Senegal, South Africa, South Korea, and what other one did she do? Yeah, Hong Kong. So I, I've been to Dominican Republic- and I did personal travel within Africa, like, to Rwanda and Uganda by myself. But mm-hmm. we've done most programs together, which is pretty oh, helpful.
1: Oh, wow. Oh, that's, you know, I'm impressed because I don't have a whole lot of experience in, like, the relationship realm. But I hear that, like, traveling together is, like, a different thing. And some people don't always do well traveling with their significant others. And the fact that you've been able to do that so many times like you said most of your experiences abroad y'all have been together like it hasn't been just you that is really impressive to me and um do you feel like at this point that traveling is like a big part of your relationship like is that like a fixture of your how you are together
0: yeah so our wedding was a travel theme where each table had our souvenirs and a different theme. And, like, if we call you up for food at the wedding. We'll say, all right, Table Uganda, come oh. get your plate your food. <laughs> and then around our house, you see our souvenirs and everything. And then in my office right now, you see, like, things we got from South Africa, things we got from this country and that country. And it's just, it's been a blessing. And, like, we've talked about living abroad. And I don't know about living abroad, like, long term. But I definitely mm-hmm. want to be one of those families where we can, like, homeschool our child for at least a portion of their life and just be traveling mm-hmm. a lot, you know, to different countries and, and just experiencing life together as a family. So mm-hmm. I definitely want to do that. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a part of who we are. It's a part of our memories and part of our family. So, yeah. Oh,
1: that is, that is wonderful. And um, I, I was wondering, you know, for you personally, you've been to – you know, you've been to Senegal, Rwanda, Uganda, and South Africa, and so I'm wondering, you know, having been Africa so many times and like seen it from different angles, uh, has that had any um, impact on you, like how you see yourself as a as a black person? Um, I know some people I've talked to who. Feel affected by you know going to the mother the motherland so to speak that's how you know we uh-huh. often call it um, so I'm yeah. wondering if that was the same for you
0: yeah and also I've been to Egypt too so oh, okay um, yeah so and and that's a great question by the way and just kind of thinking about it all for me as a as a black person it, it what is what it showed me is that I think a lot of times we always say that. You know your African roots and ancestors and everything and I, I really was able to see the diversity in Africa. Hmm. Some people mention Africa as like a country and you think as Africa is just like super small. And you know, I ask some people how many African countries you think there are, and they say, What well, is like oh, ten?
1: No. Like you know,
0: <laughs> and it's like then it's like it's fifty four it's fifty four African countries. Oh, and even God. within those fifty-four African countries, there are like seventeen different languages. Hmm. So it's like you see the diversity in it, and it, it really because I took my ancestry.com. You know, I I know decently to a degree just with European borders. Like I know hmm. I have an idea of where my ancestors come from, and I'm like uh, mainly like thirty percent Nigerian, twenty percent Ghanaian. Like fifteen percent uh, from uh, from Mali, mm-hmm. um, so I have a decent idea of where I'm from. But I, as a black person, it's hard to say that I can really really connect as much to a to a degree until you really understand like what tribe you're from, what language they speak. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it was a it was a beautiful experience. Like when I first went to Africa, I was in Senegal, and that. First day, I went to the beach and I just looked out and I cried. I'm like, man, this is a this feeling is different. Like the sky just felt different, the air. It was just like a different feeling, and it was just I was crying. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I was yeah. crying, and I'm like, man, I'm in Africa. This is the craziest feeling ever. Yeah. So. I think just for for me though it was um I think you really as a black person have to really dig deep because we always say African history African history but there's northern Africa there's east Africa west central south Africa mm-hmm. or southern Africa so you really have to dig deep in understanding that because people don't say your European roots you know people say your Italian mm-hmm. history or you know your your Italian ancestors or British or or Swedish whatever it may be so Understanding the diversity in Africa, understanding what, what specific country or area that your ancestry, ancestors come from, what language do they speak, what it was the tribe like before, kind of the colonization and European takeover. Mm-hmm. So digging deep in that way is something I eventually want to do and get to and something I'll definitely teach my child about. But I think it really teaches you the diversity of it all, basically. So
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's so... Um... That's so astute. And I appreciate that you mentioned the, the whole thing about European borders. You know, each country has their own national border now, but like, that's as a result of like, Europeans like, taking a chunk, like Germany took a chunk here, the UK took a chunk here, France took a chunk, Portugal, um, the Dutch, like all these different, <laughs> um, European countries came in. Belgium, oh, I can't believe I forgot about Belgium. So it's like, not just having the, the name of the the country that you're from, um, as we understand it now, but also looking like beyond or across those set borders that are there now, and looking to like what actual peoples, like you said, what tribes are in um, what areas, and you know, in terms of like where you belong or where your you know your ancestors belong to. So yeah, that's a. I'm glad that you mentioned that. Um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and uh, you mentioned food uh, quite a few times. I was wondering, you know. Of the places you've um, studied in or even other places you've traveled to, do you have um, any favorite dishes that you've had? Or like, I don't know if you have like one country whose food just just, you know, knocks out the rest of the competition. I don't know. <laughs> South,
0: Korea, South Korea for sure. I'm not gonna lie. South Korea, and I would say uh probably, I've been to Ecuador, too. That's where mm. I proposed to my wife. Aww. She was studying in Ecuador, and I went to propose to her, so I flew there. Um, she was studying.
1: Yeah. And
0: then, um so I would say either somewhere in, like, Central or South America, or probably definitely South Korea, for sure, hands down, got the best food I ever had, because, mm. like, Now that I went to South Korea and I've been to different Asian countries, I'm like, I'm a fiend for ramen right now. Mm. I'm like, I eat like noodles all day, like with the (laughs) the noodles, with the egg in it, you know, all the goodness, the mushrooms and everything in there. I know what I'm talking about. I'm getting hungry. Just talking about it. But, um... (laughs)
1: I am but, too kind. But yeah.
0: Yeah, but just like the they give you this big pot with like an egg, some mushrooms and like all these other veggies in it and it's it's good for you. It's a bunch of noodles and I'm like I got to find some local authentic traditional ramen spots wherever wherever I move. So mm. like I love South Korean food. That's like Asia is one of my top, like, places. Any Asian country is one of my top places to go to just because of the ramen, so.
1: Mm. Had you had Korean food before you went to uh, South Korea?
0: Not authentic. I mean, it's different being in the actual country, Mm -hmm. you know. So, you go, you get, like, Korean in America, it's, like, American Korean. So, it's not really the same. Mm -hmm. It's, like, it's, like. Chinese food in the U.S. is not really the same. Hmm. So once you actually go to the country and you, you eat their food in their country, it's like completely different. It, it just tastes different. So
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It, you mentioned, you know, in the future wanting to take your family to uh, South Africa because you love it so much. Um, are there any other places, you know, either just you personally or, you know, with your, your wife, your family, um, are there any other places in the world that you would really like to go in the future?
0: Yeah, definitely. So I, I definitely want to go to Ghana. Um, I've heard so many amazing things about Ghana. And, like, I remember a couple years ago, like, everybody, all, like, black celebrities and people was just, like, returning to Ghana. So mm-hmm. I definitely want to go there. I would like to maybe go to Mali one day, possibly. Uh, it's so historic and, like, you know, Mansa Musa was like one of the wealthiest people to ever live. And I would just love to learn just, just being in that environment, love to go to Nigeria, uh, I have so many Nigerian friends that I feel like I for sure have somebody to stay with when I go there and show me around. So for sure, I want to go to Nigeria. Uh, Ethiopia is such a historic Christian place where they have like original documents and everything. We love mm-hmm. to go there. I mean, I can, it's a whole list from Israel to... Uh, Singapore, back to South Korea, mm-hmm. Vietnam, uh, Australia. It's like a bunch of different places I want to go. So I got a whole list.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. It's always great to have ideas, you know, to have something to look forward to and, you know, plan out in the future, uh, especially with your your uh, family growing, you know. So, yeah, that's awesome. You know, you mentioned uh, at the beginning, you know, growing up in foster care and how, you know, you being... um you know, former foster kid made going to college look different for you, you know, especially in terms of, like, figuring out where to go when you couldn't be on campus. Um, and now you have redefining normal. So, you know, do you feel like your experience as a, a foster kid influences anything about, like, how you see travel or even how you approach traveling? And then also, you know, what are your hopes
0: for redefining normal going forward? Yeah, definitely. So as a former foster youth, you know, traveling abroad has been like everything because you you think that your life and, you know, the city you grew up in, the community you grew up in is your everything. But really understanding that once you travel, like you have so many limitless opportunities in front of you Mm -hmm. and ahead of you. And you just like, you want to just, you feel like once you travel, you got a secret that you want to share with other foster youth, Mm -hmm. other people who never got a chance to travel. So, you know, it's just, it's a life changing experience that kind of feels like you're unstoppable, mm-hmm. so to speak. Like when I, you go to these countries by yourself and you, you know, you can do it and you survive and you know you make friends. It's like I did that. You know, I can do that. Yeah. I went to the other side of the world and I, I did that. So it kind of just inspires you to, for other opportunities and everything. So and and it comes back to redefining normal. Just you know, not, nobody in my family has really traveled outside the country. And changing the standard for my life goes to changing the generational expectation for my children and their children and creating something for them that would change their life forever. So mm. that's what redefining normal is really about stopping generational trauma and being aware of it and creating generational success. So, really being intentional and focused on that. And I feel that traveling and all these experiences and the information that I've gathered passing that down to my children so they can carry it on forward and do 10 and 20 times as much as I've ever done. Mm. It's really what it's all about.
1: I feel that. I feel that. And, um, you know, as with the, the East Africa program and, and everything else you're up to, I hope that you're successful in being able to do that, you know, passing that message on to your own children and other people about, you know, helping them see what else is possible. Um, as far as—I oh, I guess you kind of alluded to this in terms of, you know, letting people know, like expanding people's understanding of their own capabilities, especially um, uh, former foster youth. But um, in terms of you studying abroad or just uh, traveling in general, do you have any—one, do you have any advice for being able to afford to study abroad and travel abroad? Um, and then also, do you have any general tips— or wisdom that you would like to share about doing that?
0: No, of course. So for, for scholarships, I would definitely encourage people to uh, talk to your advisor, your academic advisor, to see what scholarships and opportunities are available. The uh, Benjamin Gilman scholarship is a huge one that I received to go to South Korea. My wife received as well to go to Ecuador. Mm. Um, there are language scholarships. So if you are uh, looking to study a language, there are language scholarships. For uh, people who, non-traditional students such as foster youth, such as black students looking to study abroad, there are opportunities and scholarships out there for you as well. And if you're really desperate to go, you really want to go, ask around. You know, those couple hundred dollars from people, that's going to really be helpful Mm -hmm. for for you. And the most expensive thing is really the flight. You know, most countries you go to, outside of maybe some specific European countries or some super expensive countries that you want to go to, for the most part, the flight is the most expensive piece. And mm-hmm. once you're able to just actually get there, then most things aren't as expensive, depending on the country you're going to. But mm-hmm. if you really want to make it happen, ask everybody, tell everybody, and you'll be able to get it done. It's life-changing, and it'll contribute to your career, your personal life, and just who you are overall, like 100%. So mm-hmm. definitely will encourage it if you have the means to do it. But even if you don't, you know, there are opportunities and resources out there for you to do it. Mm, gotcha.
1: Yeah, for sure. Okay, so those are all the questions that I had for you today. Um, I really appreciate oh, – I do have one one last one, of course. So I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. Uh, my last question is where can people reach you or keep up with you, if you online if you would like them to do so?
0: Of course, yeah. So feel free to stay connected with us. Visit our website at re-definingnormal.com. That's read-definingnormal.com for our website, for our book, clothing, all things Redefining Normal for booking, workshops, speaking, all that good stuff. Um, f- feel free to visit us on our website and then contact us at info at read uh, On Facebook, it's Redefining Normal Movement. Uh, We're on TikTok with the young folks, so keep <laughs> up with us. On on, uh, on TikTok and Instagram is normal. So Instagram and TikTok is readot normal and uh yeah, just stay connected. Yeah, so
1: lots of y'all got a lot going on and a lot of ways for people to to keep up on all that. So that's that's great. Um I'm just personally curious. I know it's that was supposed to be my last question, but now I'm wondering, like as speakers, I just feel like public speaking is so intimidating for like lots of people, but that's it's part of like what y'all do for like a living. So I mean, how do you mm-hmm manage being able to do public speaking so often?
0: No, I mean, it's, it's part of business now. So, mm-hmm. I mean, really, you just kind of get used to it, but it's also preparation. And I think what was crazy is study abroad has kind of helped me prepare for what we do now, because when I created the, the East African program in college, you know, I was hustling. You know, I was doing classroom presentations. I was on class in the classroom, pitching this idea. Mm-hmm. So, like, I had to know every single thing about what I was pitching, what I want you to do, why I want you to do it, how can I convince them to do it. So that helps me directly in business with workshops and speeches and everything. So, and, you know, we didn't mention this as well, but I was for a couple of years study abroad uh president, a president of study abroad program to encourage people to study abroad as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, doing classroom presentations with that, you know, just, I'm used to talking to people and trying to convince them to do something. So, that helped me out as well. So, it all came full circle.
1: Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. I'm so sorry. I just remembered another question I forgot to ask, if you don't mind. So oh,
0: sorry. Very last question. It's all good.
1: Um, you mentioned studying. You studied. What was it? African
0: public, public relations and African studies. Af- okay, public relations and African studies.
1: So, um, hmm, I meant to
0: ask way way
1: earlier and totally forgot. Why did you decide to study those things
0: when you went off to school? Um, so, public relations. I wasn't sure. I thought I wanted to be a sports journalist when I first got to college, mm-hmm. but I started to learn more about social issues and things like that. So, I started to understand how can I do something that will impact my community directly and I started to get into communications and public relations and everything and try to fully understand like how can I make that impact mm-hmm. so with that you know I I did research on public relations I took a course and I've seen how businesses and, and different things like that have that direct impact so I did research in that way and I just chose to do public relations so it was an amazing opportunity for me and with African Studies, you know, I wanted to actually just build up the program and be a part of that. as a, It was a new program at my university, so mm-hmm. I did want to be a part of that and creating that and, and be one of the the students to lead other students to be a part of that as well.
1: Yeah. Okay. I see. Yeah, and that makes sense. Like, you know, studying African Studies helped with you getting out there and traveling, but also, I'm sure, having a, a more profound sense of self and... And then with PR, you know, I'm sure that comes in handy with what you do now with speaking engagements and promoting your book and everything else you do with redefining normal. So that's interesting how things worked out. So but yeah, once again, thank you so much for your time. It was really great getting to meet you and, and learn about you and your experiences and i hope you have enjoyed this as much as i have um
0: no, definitely i appreciate
1: it and i hope you have a great rest of your evening okay i'll be in touch for sure um so you will hear from me when the episode is about to come out and um, of course but yeah until then i hope you take care i hope you and your wife are well and every everything continues to go well for y'all and good luck with moving oh my goodness
0: <laughs> yeah yeah thank you so much i appreciate that thank you
1: yeah for sure All right, well, uh, you take care. Talk to you later, Justin, okay?
0: All right, you too. You too. Thank you.
1: All right, bye. All right, y'all. There it is. Thanks to Justin for being such a wonderful guest, and I hope you like how this all turned out. For the rest of you listening, don't forget to follow this podcast at Young Gifted and Abroad on Instagram and Facebook, and at YG Abroad on Twitter. Also, don't forget to check out guest profiles and resource lists on younggiftedandabroad.com. Also, if you enjoy what you've been hearing so far, then please continue listening to Young Gifted and Abroad wherever podcasts are. And you're welcome to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and wherever else you leave ratings and reviews. And as always, if you have questions or comments to share, or if you yourself would like to be a guest on the show, then feel free to email me at younggiftedandabroad at gmail.com. So for the next episode in two weeks, that conversation has not been recorded yet, but provided all goes well. Are y'all tired of hearing me say that yet? <laughs> oh, oh, sorry, just I tickle myself sometimes. <laughs> Anyway, um, provided that all goes well, (laughs) uh, the next guest in two weeks will be someone from Canada who is currently a graduate film student in South Korea and who is also doing plus-size modeling in South Korea too. So you can look forward to hearing all about that in two weeks, but until then, thank you so much for listening and...